So here's the question. How do active people in the Atlanta area stay pain-free and live the active, fulfilled life that they deserve at any age? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Danny Matei, and welcome to the Active Atlanta Podcast. The Active Atlanta Podcast is sponsored by Athletes Potential. At Athletes Potential, we help active adults stay that way, pain-free and active doing the sports and activities that they love for life. We do this by working on four different areas. That's movement, nutrition, stress management, and sleep. When we optimize these four areas, you feel better, you move better, and you live better for life. Head to athletespotential.com to learn how we can help you stay active for life today. What is up, Atlanta, and welcome back to the Active Atlanta Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jake Sport, and today, everyone, we have Dr. Danielle DeRoche with us. Um, I'm really excited to get her on the podcast because she has um, she has something that, quite honestly, I'm not super familiar with, so I'm going to learn just as much from you guys as, as um, or I'm going to learn just as much from her as you guys will, uh, but she is a doctor of naturopathic medicine, um, as well as she's, she's super busy. She doesn't like to sit on her butt too much, but she is also a... Uh, Pilates instructor over at one of my all-time favorite uh, Pilates studio here in Atlanta called The Daily. And um, so between that and her practice, uh, her practice, she's really helping change a lot of lives in a positive way over uh, here in Atlanta. So uh, without further ado, Danielle, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I am super excited about having you on. Um, so explain to me, what is a doctor of naturopathic medicine? Yeah, so um, naturopathic medicine is slowly growing in the South. Um, It's really big in the Northwest where I went to school in the Northeast where I'm from. But um, as a naturopathic doctor, you complete your pre-med prereqs as a conventional doctor would. And then you go to a four-year naturopathic medical school. And Mm -hmm. during the first half of that training, our education is very similar to conventional doctors in that we are taught to diagnose, to interpret lab work, and to prescribe pharmaceuticals. But we differ because during the second half of our schooling, we also learn about nutrition, supplements, herbal medicine, um, lifestyle medicine, physical medicine, um, just more natural therapies. So by the time we are done with school, we kind of have um, this broader toolbox and we really focus on prevention and addressing the root cause with our patients. So we may use pharmaceuticals when they're absolutely needed or maybe using them temporarily, but the goal would be to use natural therapies to bring the body back into a state of balance where maybe it doesn't need as many medications or doesn't need any medications um, to really function well. Yeah, that's really cool. So then would you say like a um, natural, would you say natural remedies or do you say natural uh, practices? Like what all does that include? Yeah, so a natural medicine, so it includes things like nutrition. Um, so using, you know, food as medicine is really, um, I think, the foundation of natural medicine. You know, you can take all the supplements in the world, but if you're not eating well, then you're really just going to be fighting an uphill battle. Um, so number one is nutrition and then also using nutritional supplements. So when we're not able to get certain nutrients through our food, or maybe when we're not able to absorb them really well, we may supplement um, with certain vitamins and minerals. Also using things like herbal medicine, so plant medicine um, can be really helpful. Um, Actually, many pharmaceuticals are um, 
were created kind of modeled after plants. Um, Uh So plants can be, you know, really um, powerful when it comes to supporting our health. Um, And then things like, you know, managing our stress, making sure we're sleeping well, making sure we're moving our body, um, all those things come into play. So we really aren't going to be using just one therapy. It's really about using um, all of them together. Okay, very cool. And then, um, so I was, I love keeping up with your content. And if you guys, uh, we'll get your like Instagram handles and everything or social media handles and everything after all this, but you post some really important or some really valuable stuff on there. And I've noticed that you post a lot about PCOS. Is that kind of like a niche that you've kind of like started like really, uh, or that is, is that like a niche that you're really interested in? Or is that just a very common problem that you, that you found that needs a lot of attention? Yeah, kind of a little bit of both. Um, so PCOS is the most common endocrine disorder in reproductive age women. Um, and mm-hmm. it's a really complicated condition where we see things like irregular menstrual cycles. So women getting their period more than 35 days apart, um, which often lends to um, infertility struggles. We can also see things like weight gain, fatigue, acne, and hair loss. Um, And I kind of started diving into PCOS because I was just naturally getting a lot of women in my practice who were in their early to mid thirties, getting off the birth control pill for the first time in 10 plus years who were struggling to get pregnant. And they were just now learning about their PCOS diagnosis, um, which can be really frustrating because typically symptoms of PCOS actually onset in our teen years. And the um, kind of go-to in the conventional medical world is to prescribe the birth control pill, which can cover up symptoms of PCOS, but it doesn't treat it. So by the time these women get to their mid thirties and get off the pill, they still have PCOS. It's been there the whole time. And a lot of times it's progressed and worsened than it was when they were a teen. And now they're having to do all this work to get their body in a state where they can get pregnant. Uh-huh. Um, so my goal really focusing on PCOS is not only to support those women who are in their thirties trying to get pregnant, but also try to, you know, reach people who might be in their late teens or early twenties who, um, you know, are just now learning about PCOS and try to support them. So that way, you know, when they are ready to grow their family, um, they can do that. Oh man. It's like kind of addressing a problem before it becomes a problem, right? Yeah, ahead exactly. of it. yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And then um, this may be a silly question, but what does PCOS stand for? Uh, polycystic ovary syndrome. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Man, I'll tell you what. Um, it's really interesting. I, they make it sound like they being like just uh, pop culture or just the world makes it or uh, some other things make it seem like getting pregnant is a super easy phenomenon. Um, and for some people, it certainly can be. Uh, but it's not as it's not as uh it's not as easy as the birds and the bee story. I can say that much, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We spend, I mean, we're kind of told, you know, in our teens or twenties, you know, we spend so much time and effort to try and not get pregnant. So that way, you know, when women are ready to get pregnant and it is a little bit of a challenge for some, it can be really disheartening because we're kind of, you know, brought up to have this mentality of it is really easy. And it's definitely not, not that case for many women. Yeah. So then, um, do you work with other, um, potential issues with like infertility? Like, is that like an area that you kind of like really like to, are you really interested in and work with a ton of, or is is that just one of many that you'd like to focus in on? Yeah, I would say PCOS um, and infertility, you know, infertility, regardless of whether it's PCOS driven are probably the two primary things I see in my practice. Um, A lot of times with infertility, 
it can be as simple as checking your vitamin D level and, mm-hmm. you know, supplementing vitamin D and getting that back to a, you know, a good place. Um, you know, a lot of nutrient deficiencies, certain hormonal imbalances, stress, under eating. These are common things that I'll see contributing to infertility. Um, and once they're addressed, these women typically don't need the expensive, um, infertility treatments, things like IUI and IVF. Um, mm-hmm. and I think oftentimes, you know, Technically, in the conventional medical world, if a woman um, has struggled to get pregnant for a year, then they're considered um, a candidate for some infertility workup. But I really like to work with patients as soon as they you know, are trying to get pregnant, you know, making sure all their ducks are in a row, making sure their nutrient levels look good, making sure their hormones are well balanced. Because why struggle for a year and then start addressing these things when we can check them now and make sure everything looks good moving forward? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, you know, I think that's really interesting, actually, that you would have to, like, in the traditional medical world, it's like, well, hold on, try for a month, and then we'll start working on some infertility issues. Like, um, is that just like, yeah, sorry, not a month, I meant 12 months, a year. Yeah, Yeah. exactly, a year. Yeah, one month, I mean, I guess that makes sense. You got to give it some time, right? (laughs) Um, But like, I don't know, I feel like that's a very almost like annotated, just like very structured, rigid, like, uh, like, why can't you start working on something? Like, what, is there a reason behind that? Or it's like, well, this is how it's always been. Um, cause I think it would make a lot more sense to at least start optimizing some of these issues or some of these potential problems. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of times too, things like nutrient deficiencies, um, aren't, even looked at in general as part of the infertility mm-hmm. picture. Um, so I think, you know, with the conventional medical world, I think that at that year period, um, they're starting to do like more like invasive testing and things like that. Um, and mm-hmm. not really focusing on the basics where I think that, you know, I think any woman who is thinking about conceiving should be checking these things, um, because pregnancy is really depleting on the body. So if you're already starting out pregnancy with low vitamins and minerals, then you're mm-hmm. only going to, you know, kind of drain yourself. So making sure that you're in the best state possible to get pregnant and carry that pregnancy is really important. Oh my gosh, for sure. And, you know, it seems, it does seem really interesting. It's, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like when somebody comes in to and like, uh, work with us and, uh, you know, thankfully they had some foresight or, or whatever the case may be. And, you know, they went and had like some shoulder pain and the dog's like, yeah, I probably should have some surgery. You know I'm like, What? Like, I mean, I get, I mean, yeah, you do have a, you know, a partial tear in your labrum or even a full thickness tear, or you have a torn labrum, um, or t- a rotator cuff before, but a torn labrum now, like, man, like there's so many things you can do before you jump to these like really invasive issues. You just got to put in some of the work. Right. And that's not a knock on doctors by any means. Like, heck, it could be the same thing with like, I mean, I took my dog to the vet and he had a little bit of like a tail issue and they're like, well, got to amputate. I'm like, what? (laughs) Can we start, can we do some like antibiotics first? And they're like, sure. And actually, no, it's interesting. Um, you'll, you'll, you'll like this story. We started, we started giving them some like, um, some like, uh, like DHAs and some, or not DHA, but some, uh, omega threes. Mm-hmm. And, um, so just like general fish oil for, and, uh, man, he's been healthy as can be ever since. Does he have his tail? He's got his tail. Oh, he, wow. uh, he still has his tail. Yeah. No, I have a general, a little sidetrack here and I'm sorry for you. I love vets, but I also have a general distra- a healthy amount of distrust with vets. Like, uh, man, like I remember, and it, and it all stems from out of bad experience where, <laughs> Um, my dog was having some, some stuff going on. So we took him to like this emergency vet. And then, um, the vet came in and did some like neurologic, like did this like really like half-assed neuro exam, you know, like 
by no means am I a vet, a veterinarian, or but I know enough about the medical world to know what like an exam looks like, right? And I was like, you're just going to do that? <laughs> I was like, no, there's nothing else. And she's like, well, we did some more tests in the back. And I was like, nope, he has never been in the back of, the, of your office. He's like, oh, no, like, that's where we weigh him in and everything. Like, no, we weighed him in when we got in front. Like, so ever since then, I've had this, like, just this, like, horrible distrust of, like, really just about anything. I think having a healthy amount of distrust and just about a healthy amount of skepticism is good for just about anything, though. <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty bad, though. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was so bad. And uh, so, yeah, we got we got that taken care of. He's still got his tail. He's on fish oils and he's doing great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then how did you, how did you wind up at, cause so are you, are you from Atlanta? Or are you from the Pacific Northwest? No, I'm from New Hampshire. You're from New Hampshire. Okay. So yeah. you're from the Northeast. And I'm from then, the Northeast. Yep. And then I went to medical school out in Oregon. Gotcha. Okay. So then how did you land up in Atlanta or wind up in Atlanta? Um, so my sister lives here and she's got two young kids. So I had been coming to visit Atlanta a few times a year, um, pretty much the entire time I was in medical school. And then I, um, actually moved to Vermont to complete my residency and was just done with the winters in Vermont. I just could not, <laughs> yeah. I'm not a winter person. Um, uh-huh. so last November I moved down here to be closer to her kids and just get away from the snow. Yeah. Yeah, I can tell you you already got snow. It's like uh, it's like ninety degrees outside. You got a long sleeve shirt, uh, sweater on right now, <laughs> like my wife. Yeah. Um, okay, so then, so you moved to Atlanta, and then how did the daily come into picture for you? Like, how did you start? How did you start? Um, like, does Pilates is that just been a natural interest of yours, or has that been something you picked up since moving to Atlanta, or how's that kind of fit to like your practice overall? Oh yeah, so um, actually, I used to be a professional ballet dancer. So that oh, was nice. my first career, my first kind of introduction to the wellness world. And mm-hmm. Pilates was part of our cross training. So when I stopped dancing and I went to school and I was sitting all day, I very quickly realized my body did not like being sedentary. Um, and I was really fortunate that in my college town, there was a Pilates and instructor training going on back in 2012. Um, so I did that. And I've just kind of taught part-time through medical school, through residency. And so moving down here, I looked up studios online and found the daily and uh, yeah, the rest is history. Nice. Nice. Someone on a good one. Uh, I think they do some really cool stuff over there and their marketing is like so on point or their branding is like so on point, like uh, yeah. everything it's, it's uh, uh, the movement maestro is a person that's really, um, she's an incredible person named Shante. She's um, but she's got the saying is like ABB. So like always be branding. I feel like Lily and everyone over there at the daily has got, it's like, got that on point. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful space and I love the clients there. So really happy to have ended up there. Yeah, for sure. So then, um, moving to Atlanta, what are some of the biggest, so like you said, this is really like a common form of, um, medicine being practiced in like the Pacific Northwest and like up in the Northeast as well. Like, why do you think it's been such a, like a, why do you think the, well, there's probably many reasons, but what, where do you think that lag comes from in like the Southeast and do you see it becoming a little bit more prominent over here? Yeah, I definitely think it's growing. Um, I think part of it has to do with, there's only five schools in the country with a naturopathic um, doctorate program. And mm-hmm. most of the schools are on the West Coast. So mm-hmm. there's schools in the Southeast. I think that has a lot to do with it. You know, when people graduate school, sure. and to stay around that area. Um, also, the licensure for naturopathic doctors differs by state. 
So for example, in a state like Oregon or Vermont, where I previously lived, I can um, practice as primary care, which is what I did. Um, I could bill insurance. I could prescribe pharmaceuticals. We had a full scope of practice similar to what a conventional primary care doctor would have. However, Mm -hmm. um, in the South, many of these states are unlicensed. So that means Mm -hmm. um, I can't do those things. So I really practice as adjunctive care um, and I only use natural therapy. So I don't prescribe pharmaceuticals in the state of Georgia. Um, Mm -hmm. So because the way we practice is limited in those unlicensed states, I think it keeps nature of the doctors kind of out of those areas. Um, But slowly one by one states are becoming licensed. Um, I think Virginia is almost licensed or did just get licensed. And that will be the first Southern state in the Southeast to be licensed. So I'm hoping it trickles down to other states. Yeah, it's kind of like this double-edged sword where it's like, um, in, in that situation in particular, like there's no licensing, so they're like there's limited license uh, practice acts, there's limited, there's no schools, and then, uh, but like, so therefore like the um, need doesn't seem quite as high, right? So then, but you need to draw people like yourself down so you can make this need present to show like, oh no, there's other forms, there's, there's a, look at how good the Pacific Northwest is doing, or look at, look at all the good we can do up in the Northeast, like, Let's bring that here to the to the south as well. Are you active in legislation at all? Um, not yet. No, that is kind of my next step. But I want to get my feet on the ground in Atlanta yeah. and kind of get planted. But yeah, I would love to see Georgia get licensed. Um, it's a state that I've been watching pretty much the whole time as in medical school because I knew I was you know interested in coming down here to be closer to my family. Um, so I'm I'm hopeful. I think too, you know, with nature like doctors, um, not everyone understands that we do go to medical school. Um, you know, that there are some like holistic practitioners that do certificate programs online, but we do have the full four years of medical school and we are, you know, what we um, recommend is evidence-based. Um, so I think just, you know, understanding that it will become, you know, more popular in the South, but right now, you know, if people don't understand that piece of it, they can kind of see it as like woo-woo or like witchcraft, you know, kind of. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think like, well, it's just kind of tough, right? It's, it's kind of the same thing as uh, public perception is a tough thing to change. Um, it's kind of the same thing as like, uh, like, man, the amount of times like people are like, so you got a certificate in this, right? Like, it's like, well, you know, four years of undergrad, three years of grad school. Like, I guess you can call that a certificate, a couple of them at least, you know? Um, but yeah, I think like, uh, I think, look, at the end of the day, for sure, you want to get your license, your license, you want to get your practice that expanded and in, in, in states that are super limited, right? Um, but this is something that I had to deal with, um, or not necessarily deal with, but just kind of adjust when I graduated, like, um, as a doctoring level profession, um, it's really frustrating people like equate what I do to like a personal trainer or a coach and, and probably vice versa as well too. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, I kind of started realizing like, it doesn't really, you can call yourself anything you want, right. It's, it's more so what other people think of you and, and what they are okay with how you kind of help them out. And so we're all kind of like, and just built together. Um, but yeah, a little bit of a tangent there. It's, it is super frustrating when, um, practice acts get so limited though, it's where it's like, man, people don't even know who I am or like how much I can help them because of somebody who has no idea what I'm talking about. So like I did a little bit of legislative work, um, in undergrad. So like, there was like a couple of house bills that were trying to get passed or not undergrad, but in PT school that were trying to get, um, that were trying to get passed, uh, expand the practice act for PTs in Ohio. And it was such a, oh man, um, I guess sobering would be a, a, an okay phrase to use, but like such a sobering experience to realize like, 
oh, so you sitting there, you're the one who's right, like uh, writing uh, the laws of our practice act, and you have no idea what we do. Like you have no idea what a physical therapist is, you know. And it's going to be the same thing for you, especially once you get like more uh, involved in that legislative side. You're going to go to like, uh, you're going to go to like your the Congress, your representative, and, and talk about. It. You're going to be like, you go what? You go to medical school? Like, yes. Damn it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, we, we do. We have an event every year. Um, where naturopathic doctors and students go to DC and typically they'll pick, you know, like one or two States that are kind of on the edge of getting licensed and lobby for them. Yep. Um, so it's like a very strategic thing that they do. Um, be. So yeah, Hope, yep. hopeful, hopeful for Georgia. Um, yeah. We'll see. I think especially too, after, you know, 2020 people are, you know, prioritizing their health more than ever. And mm-hmm. they're realizing that, you know, just being prescribed pharmaceutical after pharmaceutical for, you know, problem A, B, C isn't going to provide them health long-term. Um, so that's been kind of nice to see is that people are like trying now taking the time to say, okay, like I want to maintain my health long-term. What do I really need to do? And like you said earlier, it's not, it's not easy. It does take time and it does take work. And I try to let my patients know, you know, new patients that come on is that this is not an overnight fix, but it is going to provide you a quality of life long-term that you won't get on medications. 100% medications, uh, medications have their place for certain things, of course, but like a lot of times, man, like, and this is no knock on docs PTs would do the same thing if they could order prescriptions too. But like, uh, it's just laziness almost like, Oh, you've got this issue. Well, uh, here's this medication that should help for that. You know? And then all of a sudden you got to start playing this like balancing act of like all these different medications that, that play on each other. And it's like, well, hold on. What, did we ever get to why we needed the medication to begin with? <laughs> you know? Right. Right. And, yeah. uh, but you know what, honestly though, like, do you find yourself, um, you've, you've probably grown quite a bit as a clinician because of, uh, some limitations within like your practice that we that we talked about, like kind of doing le- more with less. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, like, it's definitely uh, been like a, a 180 flip for me. Cause I came from Vermont where I was doing primary care. You know, I was prescribing, I would, would always leave it up to the patient. And if they came in with say like an ear infection, you know, I'd say, do you want a prescription or do you want to treat this naturally? If they want a prescription, I wouldn't fight them on it. You know, I'd give it to them. Yeah. So coming down here where that, like no prescriptions have been an option. Um, it has been a flip, but because I have transitioned solely focusing on hormones and fertility, Um, I really wouldn't be using pharmaceuticals really, even if I could, um, you know, natural medicine really does shine when it comes to supporting those concerns. So, um, so yeah, it's been an adjustment, but it's been good. I mean, I, there's a reason why I didn't become a conventional medical doctor and I went to school for what I didn't because I like the natural medicine piece. So for me, practicing in an unlicensed state, um, has been nice because I'm like, I don't have to worry about prescriptions and let the conventional doctors do that. You know, I can do what I do best, which is the natural medicine. For sure. And like, I would assume that when most people, by the time they get to you, like they've probably tried some of the conventional medicine stuff, you know, or like, or it's a model that they really have no interest in anyway. Um, yes, a hundred percent. Maybe they're, they're, they're not interested or they've tried, you know, medication A, B, C, and D, and they're just running out of options and looking for something different. Yeah, for sure. We see that all the time over at, uh, because like, uh, we're a little non-traditional over at Athletes Potential where we don't accept insurance. And, uh, and that's very purposeful because we don't want somebody sitting behind a computer screen like Nebraska working for an insurance company telling us how we should be treating the person sitting in front of us. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, but like, it's, it's a little different, but by the time people get to somebody like us or they get to, like you, like 
they're, they're ready for it. Like that's what they're looking for, <laughs> you know? Um, so that's really cool. So then, man, how would you just out of curiosity, how do you treat an ear infection without medicine? Yeah. So you can do, um, anti-inflammatories, um, depending on what type of ear infection it is. So, um, if it's more like the outer ear, like the canal, then you can do, um, like garlic, oregano oil drops. Uh Um, but if it's more internal, then usually that's happening because, um, there's a tube called a eustachian tube that connects the ear to your throat. And typically Uh when we get that ear pain, it's because that tube has kind of, um, swelled up. And we see this a lot with sore throats. It's a really tiny tube, so it's easy to get irritated. Um, so even doing something as simple as saltwater gargles, um, you know, gargling and spitting it out, um, you, we have a few herbs that you can also add in that water where it's antibacterial and antiviral. So you're kind of getting that, um, switching the back of the throat and then towards the tube. Um, and then doing something called J pulls, which is where you pull down on your earlobe and then pull back kind of in a J shape. And huh. that kind of helps to open up the eustachian tube. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Crash no course idea. on the ears right there. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Crash course on the ears. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So then, man, that's got my wheel spinning. What, uh, what, man, are there any like really like just things that you do that are like, that would be just so helpful for everybody to just like such an easy tip and tip or trick or thing that they can do for either from a nutrition standpoint, um, or from like, just an, like, like you said, like the little J pool, like, uh, just from a daily basis for just like general maintenance, I guess you can say. Um, that's kind I of a loaded know. question. I know. I'm like, where do I start? It's loaded and vague. So like, what's like, uh, I don't know. Like for me, like I think having some form of like mobility routine uh, when you first wake up is is a great thing to do. Is there anything along those lines for you? Yeah. So especially for my female patients with, um, hormone imbalances, and this really goes for anyone. And I know some people do really well with intermittent fasting. So this wouldn't necessarily particularly apply to them, but in general, um, having a really nutrient dense breakfast in the morning. And Mm -hmm. it's funny because I'll recommend, I typically recommend this, a similar smoothie to my patients, which includes, um, leafy greens, like a handful of spinach or kale, some sort of non-dairy liquid. So like water or non-dairy, um, milk, um, berries, and then, um, either a small banana or like a quarter of an avocado to add that creaminess and then sort of like nut butter seeds for the healthy fats. Um, and then I like adding collagen powder in for the protein. So you're getting protein, healthy fats and fiber with the leafy greens. And Mm -hmm. it is really amazing. Like the difference my patients will see, even just after a week of doing a smoothie like this in the morning, you know, better energy levels throughout the day, not feeling like they need their afternoon coffee, less brain fog, better sleep. And it's it's something as simple as that, you know, I think sometimes we're always looking for this like magical pill or the magical herb. And sometimes it's just yeah. like, what are you eating in the morning, you know, are you running off of coffee or just mm-hmm. running off of, you know, like your white bread bagel. Um, so that's kind of always where I start with my patients. And if you do intermittent fasting, still making that first meal of the day, something really nutrient dense and not skipping over it. Yeah, man. I think that's, uh, I think that's really smart actually. Um, what's so like, all right. So I have, this is, kind of, this is probably going to be bad, but I've never done a food sensitivity test okay. ever, ever. And most light and, and, uh, mostly because I am nervous to death that it's going to tell me that I'm sensitive to eggs. And mm-hmm. like, cause I find like a lot of people have like, a, like they're pretty sensitive to like eggs. And, um, if that was the case, that would knock off like, man, 
so much of my diet. <laughs> like, uh, like I probably eat eggs, like man, four to five times a week, I would say. And, um, but yeah, what, what's your take on eggs? Like, is that, is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Like, should I definitely go get that food sensitivity test? I mean, so yeah, eggs are different for everyone. Um, food sensitivity tests are great. You know, I would say one, you know, are you having symptoms? If you're feeling great sure. you know, across the board, then probably don't need to like dive into that hole. You know, it's like, <laughs> don't, yeah. don't ask if you don't want to know the answer. Yeah. Um, but I do <laughs> love food panels for people who, you know, do have low energy, brain fog, bloating, joint pain, these general signs of inflammation where they are eating pretty healthy. They, you know, they are moving their body. There's not really a pinpoint answer for it. Um, mm. And then, you know, doing a food panel, it can tell us, you know, what your body is responding to. And now if your food panel came back positive for eggs, that may not necessarily mean that you have to avoid eggs forever. It could mean that you just need to avoid eggs for, you know, say eight weeks, do some mm. work on, at healing your gut um, and then you may be able to reintroduce eggs, maybe not four to five times a week, but maybe you could get it <laughs> one to two times a week, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So it's not, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be an all or nothing, um, mm. especially with food sensitivities, you know, it's not um, an outright allergy, like a peanut allergy, um, yeah. so finding that kind of balance of like, you know, just noticing how do you feel, you know, after eight weeks without eggs, maybe you do have, you know, less brain fog, maybe you have better energy and then you introduce eggs for a day or two and you're like, okay, I can handle this. But if I do introduce them back every day, then I do start to kind of feel that effect. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I should probably not eat so many eggs anyway, but I'll say this: they're not whole eggs. It's like, uh, it's like, it's so here's where I got it from too. So I took a nutrition class clear back in undergrad, the whole like one nutrition class I had to take in my entire seven years. Uh, and, um, we had to do like a, like a food journal, of course. Right. And, um, we used some software that came with the class and like, um, the breakfast that I like created using this software, I was like, ah, this is pretty easy and it works pretty well. It's like, it's like, um, man, it's one whole egg and two egg yolks, uh, with spinach mixed in. And then, um, it's like this, uh, Greek yogurt with, um, almonds in there. And then just like, what is oh banana is and like that's pretty much what I eat on a pretty regular basis yeah, from like a morning good. standpoint. Is that okay? I feel like I just, I'm gonna try that that uh, protein, healthy fat, and fiber smoothie dough. That might be an easy substitute. Yeah, but I mean, you're getting the spinach in, which has the fiber. You're getting the protein uh -huh. through the egg and the Greek yogurt, and then you're getting healthy fats through nuts. So yeah, yes, yeah, it's like right there, it's just not in yeah. smoothie form. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I probably wouldn't add eggs to a smoothie. So yeah, maybe keep that separate. Ooh, that'd be that'd be interesting. <laughs> well, what do you? So what's like? Uh, so do you, does that smooth? What's like? Um, what's like a favorite food of yours? Do you have like any type of like like a favorite? Like what's a favorite cheat meal food for you? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I don't yeah. tacos, but you can make tacos healthy. Yeah, um, tacos are pretty easy tacos. to get creative with. Yeah, fish tacos. Um, yeah. I'm a big yeah. fish person. I'm not a huge meat eater. Um, I do yeah. here and there, but I'm just like not I'm just like don't crave it the way some people do. Um, yeah. So yeah, I would say definitely fish. But yeah, I try to work with my patients. You know, when they have a favorite meal or favorite cheat meal, you know, mm -hmm. to try to like kind of spruce it up to make it a little bit more nutrient dense. You know, yeah. um, like for example, oatmeal. Oatmeal is a great one. But um, you know, in order to get some veggies in there, I love adding frozen cauliflower 
So you'll do into like, your oatmeal. Yeah, into your oatmeal, and you you won't be noticed. I promise. I'll wow. usually do like two thirds oats, one third um, frozen rice cauliflower. Um, and that's just a way to get some veggies in, in the morning. Um, really great to help support estrogen detox too, which is something that women often struggle with. Um, I feel like you can kind of hide cauliflower in anything nowadays. You can even add it to smoothies and don't really notice, but yeah, it's like, that's fair. Trick. yeah, that's really cool. Well, uh, Dr. Danielle, I really appreciate, uh, you coming on here and giving us a little bit of knowledge, making me getting rid of some of my fear of uh, food sensitivities to eggs and uh, giving us some tips and tricks for anything from healthy smoothies in the morning to helping an ear infection out. So um, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, if they're like, man, this sounds like something I should be paying attention to. And if you're listening to the show, you absolutely should reach out to her. She's a stud at what she does. Um, what would be a good way to get in contact with you? Probably the easiest way is via Instagram, which is Dr. Danielle period ND. Um, from there, you can either message me or there's a link to my website through that. Um, and then my website is drdaniellederoche.com, which I think we can okay. probably link on this. Um, for sure. Yeah. Yep, for sure we can. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, real quick here, was, you know, it's always really interesting. Social media is by far the easiest way to reach out to people now, you know? It, yeah, it is. It's Never phones. Good. Yeah. Never and phones. It's not email. See them, see their face, see their kind of vibe, I guess. Yeah. For sure. And you know, it's so funny. I've got, um, I have an, I have a sister who's 16 and she was telling me, I, she, so she met a boy and like, uh, the boy, like, instead of asking for her number, he asked for her Snapchat. He's like, Hey, what's your Snapchat? And like, so like, yeah, nobody asked for, if you ask for a number, you're, you're either old or you're weird. Like nobody asked for that anymore. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. So it's all social media now that makes sense. Yeah. But, uh, Danielle, I really appreciate your time and, uh, I'm sure we'll be connecting soon. Yeah, perfect. Thank you for having me. Yep. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. If you want to find out more about our guests or about Athletes Potential and how we can help you continue to be active and pain-free in life, head over to athletespotential.com to learn more.